a while ago. You can have it if you want, Faz. I dropped. That's one of my. That's one of my bribe the kids if they come in early. Chocolate bars. Um, so, a while ago, we did a shortish sermon series on Jesus saying, "You will hear of wars, rumors of wars, famines, earthquakes, but don't let your hearts be troubled." And right now, as it seems like the world is getting smaller and smaller. And the things that used to be far away are getting closer and closer. And the battle seems to be getting more intense. We've heard of earthquakes, haven't we? The last couple of months that have devastated countries. And now we're seeing more wars and rumors of potential other wars. Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. And there was two things that I encourage us to ask whenever we start to hear of wars and rumors of wars. I doubt that you remembered them, but did anyone remember the two things that we should be asking when we see and hear of such things? Well, yes. What good is God up to? Because it's quite clear what evil is up to, isn't it? But when we hear of wars and rumors of wars, we should ask two things. Firstly, what good is God up to? And secondly... What is he saying to me? What is God saying to me? What good is God up to, home and away? And what is God saying to me? We know from what Jesus said that God is always working. Jesus said God is always working. And scripture says that he's always working for good. So what good is God up to right now? And what is he saying to me? As we see wars and earthquakes all around and the atrocious suffering, what is God saying to his children? What is Jesus saying to his church? What part do you and I play in the big scheme of things? And what part do you and I play in God's goodness and what he's saying to us in the everyday details of our life? Home. The wars and rumors of wars and the famines are going on, but what is God saying and doing in your home, not just on the big stage, in your work, in your congregation, wherever you worship. Because as we see Jesus' words and other biblical prophecies being played out on this big worldwide stage and the immense suffering that's being caused, should Christians be turning against one another? Should Christians be the cause of fractions and upsets and problems and complaints between one another? Should churches and denominations be debating on subjects that are causing splits right now that potentially we don't even have the, uh, the right to debate about because the Bible is fairly clear in my opinion? Or should Christians be engaged in the good that God is up to, keeping the main thing the main thing, locally and nationally, internationally? And should Christians be intentionally listening to what he is saying to you right now, in this moment, whether it be for the worldwide or for right here in your home? Of course, we shouldn't be the, the cause of upset. And of course, we should, we should be involved in the good that God is doing. And of course, we should be listening to what our good shepherd is saying to each of us as individuals and following him and him alone. And 
what we've been learning in this current series, we understand that it has everything to do with our souls. If we want to join in the good that God is doing, whether it be out there or in here, whether we want to, if we want to listen to what Jesus is saying to us, it has everything to do with our souls. And as we've been studying, hopefully there's a PowerPoint coming up. As we've been looking at, we've been studying Jesus' fascinating and encouraging and challenging letter to the Laodicean Christians. It's the lukewarm letter, the one that he says you are lukewarm, which can be quite frightening to hear, can't it? But right at the end of this letter, Jesus says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Jesus told them that a lukewarm Christian, it's their soul that's the problem. Their spirit is born again. It's not even a body problem. It's a soul issue. And then Jesus talks about his loving rebuke and discipline towards his church, his internal discipline and his external discipline, which we talked about. He is pruning Christians in their thoughts and intentions to make them more fruitful in their soul. He's pruning our souls. It's not a spirit issue. It's not a body issue. It's a soul issue. And then Jesus said, and here I am. I'm knocking on the door of your soul. He's talking to born-again believers. They've received Jesus into their spirits. And now, like the caretaker that he is, the Bible says that Jesus is the shepherd and the caretaker of our souls. The caretaker lives on the school grounds, but he needs to come out of his house on the school grounds and start to look, take care of the buildings and the grounds. Jesus is knocking on the door of our soul and says, will you let me in? Because I want to come in and meet with you. I like the way G, uh, Linda expressed taking the bread this morning taking you in Jesus and becoming more and more like you. It's a daily thing, isn't it? Okay. And last time, let's have the next slide, we finished up by looking at how all temptation that is experienced and is processed in our soul. Temptation is a soul issue. We tend to think of temptation as a body issue, but no. Temptation is processed and decided upon in our souls, our mind, our will, our emotion. Our body is involved in the temptation. It can be a cause of certain desires and things like that, but actually it's processed, decided upon in our soul, the very place that Jesus says, I want to come in and fill you up with this everlasting living water that, it, that quenches your soul thirst. You're no longer thirsty for the things of the world because of the relationship you're having with me. Okay, and we read... In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. The Bible tells us elsewhere that God does not tempt anyone in James. So here we learn that God is not the burdener or the tempter. God is our rescuer. When it comes to the temptation of your soul, 
God is not the source, but he can be your resource. And the door that's marked way out, remember he provides a way out for you in temptation? The door marked way out that he provides happens also to be the way in that Jesus is knocking at. Jesus is your way out of temptation. And he says, let me in. And right in the middle of Psalm 23, which is the good shepherd psalm, Jesus the shepherd and the caretaker of our soul, it says here, in Psalm 23, 5 at the bottom there, it says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. So in the presence of our enemy, in the face of temptation, Jesus can provide a table of meeting and eating in our soul. When we realize that the door of our soul he's knocking on is also the way out provided by God. Can you see the theme? He's the way out. He's knocking at the door to come into our soul and he sits down basically with us having a meeting in our soul. Even in the presence of our enemies, even when we're struggling with sin and temptation, wars, rumors of wars, all the things that fight for our attention. Now, James, who's the brother of Jesus, he wrote a book in the Bible entitled James, and he describes the process of letting Jesus in and overcoming temptation in the following twofold way. He says, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Letting Jesus be Jesus in your soul is drawing near to him. And the wonderful result of doing that is actually experiencing his nearness in your soul. The more and more that you let Jesus in to what's going on in your soul, the more you will experience Jesus in your soul. When you draw near to him, he draws near to you. When you hear, even in the face of temptation, where do you turn? You turn to the way out, which also happens to be the way in. You turn to Jesus who's knocking. Involve him in the situation. And amazing byproducts of actually inviting him in and talking to him and, and lifting up your soul to him and showing what you're going through, you experience his nearness even more. There's a promise right there. Draw near to God and he will come near to you. But in the presence of our enemy... In the midst of temptation, when we turn to the way out and invite Jesus into the situation, what does verse 7 say? That in order to resist the devil and watch him flee, what do we need to do? Submit to him. So it's not just a case of inviting Jesus into your soul, into your tempted soul, and talking to him and listening to him and meeting with him. There's something else required, isn't there? You've got to submit to him. He's got to be Jesus who Jesus is in your soul. He's Lord. He's King. When we invite Jesus into our tempted soul and we meet with him, what is it that we're required to do in order for there to be victory over evil and fruitfulness of God? 
We've got to submit to Jesus. I like the word yield. We've got to yield to Jesus. Yield to what he says. He requires us to yield to him. Do you know what he says? Do you know what he said about those who love me are the ones who obey my commands? And the ones who obey my commands are the ones who love me. When you do what Jesus said, like forgive someone, or stop gossiping, or praying for your enemy, or stop judging, being judgmental, you are submitting to Jesus. You are showing your love for him, and you will also begin to experience the devil fleeing. I wager that most Christians don't actually have a problem with hearing Jesus. What we actually have is a problem submitting to Jesus. We're actually quite aware of what Jesus is saying or has said many, many times, but we have a problem submitting. But the good news is, from this verse and one other things we know from Scripture, that the more we turn to Jesus as the way out, the closer he becomes to us and the harder it is to say no to him. Have you noticed that? The closer you are to Jesus, the more you submit to him and the more closer he gets to you, the more you invite him into situations, the more you turn to him as the way out in your soul, the closer he gets. Because the closer he gets, the harder it is to say no to him. Not simply because we know it's the right thing to do and Jesus expects it, but because we are growing in our relationship with him, we feel it when we grieve him. You get to the closeness with Jesus in your soul to the point, you know when Jesus said to the woman of the well, if you knew what water I was offering you, living water, okay, you would ask me and it would well up in you and you'd never be thirsty again. And we've talked about actually saying to temptation, saying to sin, no thanks, I'm stuffed. I've got this living water welling up so much inside of me that I no longer thirst for that sort of thing. I'm full of my relationship with Jesus. Because eternal life is what? Jesus said, it'll well up in you to eternal life. And eternal life is what, Jesus said? Knowing the Father and Jesus whom he sent. It's having a relationship with God in our soul to the point where we're no longer thirsty for something else that we might have been thirsty for in the past. Okay. Where are we? Oh, yes. The more closer you get to Jesus, the more harder it gets to say no to him because you don't want to grieve him. You've got this presence with you, this relationship that's ongoing. You wake up and you sense the closeness of the Lord and you hate it when you do sin and you feel this kind of awkwardness, lack of peace, worry. When we open the door and meet with Jesus when tempted or even in the middle of sinning, what do you think Jesus' attitude is towards us? Is it condemning or compassionate? You've done this, you've done this sin a hundred times. Do you think he flips from compassionate to condemning after a while? Do you think 
his reaction to you is cynical or sympathetic? When you open the door to your soul right in the middle of sinning or being tempted, what do you think? Sympathetic, do you reckon? Okay. Let's turn to our next scripture. Hebrews says this, For this reason, he, talking about Jesus, had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, and he is able to help those who are being tempted. When we open the door of our soul to Jesus, he is not only merciful and faithful and empathetic and helpful in our temptation and sin, he is also the one who made atonement for our sin. He's the good shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep. So not only can he help us when we're tempted, he can also forgive us when we sin, and like Maynard mentioned earlier, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that amazing? The Lord Jesus who knocks on the door of of your soul, because when you're born again, he comes to live in your spirit. And then he's knocking on your soul. And the Lord who's knocking on your soul can not only help you with temptation, because he's been there, and sympathize and empathize, because he made atonement for your sin by hanging on the cross for your punishment, He can also forgive you and cleanse you in that moment from all unrighteousness. Isn't that amazing? Wouldn't you love to invite him into the situation? Wouldn't you love to sense his nearness more? Okay. But to let him in and then receive this forgiveness requires opening our souls to him and letting him be the shepherd and caretaker, and submitting to his lordship. One of the things you need to submit to is when you let Jesus into the situation and you ask forgiveness, you need to submit to the truth that you are forgiven. Yeah? You need to believe him rather than what you feel or what someone else says or the memories keep creeping back. You need to submit because the devil won't flee until you submit to God. And if you can't believe that you're forgiven... You're not submitting to him, Jesus has been caretaking your soul. And the devil won't flee. Because you're not submitting even to something like being forgiven. Okay. Right. Ten chapters on in the book of Hebrews, it says this. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Well, has anyone else done that? It says it there, but maybe. Anyone here suffer from low sin resistance threshold? Anyone suffer from a low sin resistance threshold? Oh, one honest person, yeah. We all do in certain areas, don't we? In other areas, we're quite strong to resist temptation. But in other areas, sometimes we have a bit of a low threshold. We resist for five minutes or something. and then Maybe we might be able to say we've resisted sin to the point of feeling hungry. You ever done that? We've resisted sin to the point of feeling upset. We've resisted sin to the point of feeling uncomfortable or 
to the point of going through withdrawal symptoms. Anyone ever done that? Resistive sin to the point of going through withdrawal symptoms? Yeah? We've resisted sin to the point of feeling hard done by or feeling unpopular or being unpopular. Resisted sin to the point of being unpopular. No longer hanging out or doing that, whatever it is, and you become unpopular. But who was it that the writer of Hebrews is saying resisted sin to the point of shedding his blood? Yeah. It's the good shepherd and the caretaker of our souls. And even before he was beaten, whipped, crowned with thorns, nailed, crucified and pierced, how else did he shed his blood in resisting temptation? Sweating, didn't he? He sweated drops of blood, which apparently is a medical condition when someone is so, so stressed and burdened that it can happen. Jesus sweated drops of blood, literally. And in that moment, when Jesus was sweating drops of blood, resisting temptation, can you remember what Jesus said about his own soul? A bit, bit earlier on than that. Peter? Yeah. Diana? Yes. He said this, my soul is overwhelmed. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him and began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Isn't your Lord Jesus Christ amazing? Jesus took up our infirmities and carried our iniquities, our sins, so much so that his soul, in his soul, he experienced sorrow to the point of death. Jesus experienced death in his soul so that in your souls, what could you experience? Life. Eternal life, welling up from our spirits into eternal life. This amazing relationship with the Lord Jesus and his Father. And who is it now that wants to minister this wonderful eternal life into your soul? The Holy Spirit, who represents Jesus. So the Lord Jesus, who experienced death in his soul, now wants to minister eternal life in your soul. Kids, I've got some chocolate for you because I haven't finished yet. So, this isn't temptation in moderation. This is just, this is a carrot. There we go. Fads, would you, hold, would you give out these non-tempting to the kids just so they can... Uh... Okay. Yeah, I've just had a look. We've got, we've got a little way to go, so I think we'll, 
We'll press pause. All right, let's pray, shall we?